Fun, thank you. Uh, so now we're all ready for road trips, right? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm the kind of traveler that uh, every time I get where I'm going, inevitably, I have forgotten something. And so I've got to go to you know, the nearest CVS or Walgreens or whatever to replace whatever I forgot. Uh, and I've, I've tried to mitigate this with my own pre-trip routine, uh, which involves packing the night before. Uh, which I've seen in the live chat, some of us don't do that, right? Some of us wait as long as possible uh, until we have to leave. No, not you, you're, you're okay. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, I, I, try to, I try to go in a very specific order, right? Like I first pack all my clothes, so, you know, I count the days I'm going to be gone, do my socks and underwear, do the shirts and the pants and all that. Am I going to need more than just the shoes I'm going to wear on the plane? You know, all that. Then I do my backpack, so I get all my chargers, my Kindle, you know, whatever I'm bringing with me that way, laptop, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, I am graced to be married to a person who is very good at snacks, and so she often will go somewhere and get uh, a good bag of a mixture of sweet and savory snacks for us to take either in the car or on the plane or whatever. So make, you know, make sure the snacks are packed. And then I do as many of my toiletries as I can. But again, the problem is if I'm doing it the night before, I like want to brush my teeth and probably shower and stuff in the morning, right? So in the morning is when I'm trying to pack up my toiletries. And Anytime you try to pack before coffee, things are going to go wrong, which is why I end up forgetting something, you know, whatever. So uh, anyway, I wanted to read a couple of the other pre-trip stuff we got from the, the chat. Uh, this, I don't, this Guhei Ross says that she waits until the last possible minute to pack. I don't know if you're aware of that person. Um, Andrew and Stormy, they make a checklist for when they pack. That's smart. So mine is, my checklist is in my head, right? It sounds like they actually physically create a checklist might have to try that one, right? Um, Teresa, this is a great one. Clean the house before you leave so that when you come back... That's nice. That's really smart. Yeah, I like that a lot. Bethany, Bethany, this is not surprising to me, Bethany. Research routes, toll roads, predicted weather, road closures, etc. Oh, then she promptly forgets all that information. So <laughs> repeat seven times until she's just winging it the day of and then forget to pack. I love it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I empathize with that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the other weird pre-trip routine that we have, uh, and I saw, I think it was Joshua that said in the chat um, that he, who is it? Uh, yeah, so, so uh, he plays the song Automobile um, by Kaleo at the start of every road trip. Okay, I don't know why Amanda and I do this, but our road trip song that we start out every road trip with is uh, LaGrange by ZZ Top. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know why it's not about a road trip. Um, it's just fun. It's got the vibes, right? It's a vibe thing. So yeah, um, it, sometimes we get pretty far down the road, again, pre-coffee, right? Before we remember, oh, we got to play it, right? But, um, and then, of course, if we're flying somewhere, even though we've both seen Final Destination, it's, it's got to be leaving on a jet plane, John Denver. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's how, I, that's how we really feel like ready, ready to go on a trip. Uh, so <laughs> I share all of that because I think, especially when you want to like the longer the trip, it seems like the more preparation that we do for the trip. Uh, and it seems like most of us have some kind of a pre-trip routine that we do that helps us be ready to leave, right? And so uh, this, this particular Sunday is uh, Transfiguration Sunday, and it's actually like a pivot point between the season of Epiphany and the season of Lent. And Lent is nothing if it's not a journey of spiritual transformation. 
And so here, just a few days before Lent begins, I thought it would be wise for us to talk about not going on the trip, but preparing to go on the trip. Are we doing what we need to do in our spirits to be ready to set out on this journey to the cross with God? Um, Are we doing the things that will put our spirits in the right place to actually experience this kind of spiritual transformation? Uh, And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like today uh, with a couple of really fun stories from the scriptures. Uh, And we're obviously doing a little more casual today, a little bit morning show format. So uh, I'm going to hand it back over to Nathan, but I'm going to stay up here, and we're going to sing together, and I'm going to invite all of you to stand. Oh, you're going jacketless. Okay, this is serious now. All right. So, yeah, you'll stand with us. Just under the wire. Made it. Uh, I think I feel like I need to scoot back up a little bit. Am I in the light? Okay. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, this is actually the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany, which has been the season where we celebrate who God is. So, Uh, If at Christmas we celebrate that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, Epiphany asks the question, what does that mean, right? Who is this God who is with us? And so we've been looking throughout this season at uh, some different ways that that, uh, God's people have been depicted throughout Scripture and the way we find that uh, finding fulfillment in Jesus. And so Epiphany ends with a Sunday that we call Transfiguration Sunday, which is today. And as I mentioned earlier, it's sort of a pivot point that shifts us away from the season of Epiphany and into the season of Lent. Uh, And it does that through the story of the Transfiguration, which is the story of Jesus going up on a mountain and having this uh, very surreal uh, spiritual experience, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. It's paired with this story from Exodus, uh, where the people of God encounter God Uh, for the first time since God has liberated them from slavery in Egypt. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 24. Uh, If you grab one of the Bibles out of the back, that's on page 49. And as you're turning or clicking over to Exodus 24, uh, so this is, again, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses to them to liberate them. And then Moses led the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And God, this is, uh, I think, the best analogy to use with what happens at Mount Sinai is a wedding ceremony. God proposes to the people. God says, if you will be my people, then I will be your God. And the people say, yes, we would love that, right? So they accept the proposal right there. I guess it's the rose, right? Because we're in bachelor season. So God's like, will you accept this rose? And they accept this rose. And so then, um, then God gives them the Ten Commandments, or as the Hebrews call them, the Ten Words, right? And so these are sort of like the vows, right? The wedding vows. God says, okay, this is what it means to be my people. And the people agree. They say, yes, okay, you know, to have and hold better and worse, sickness and health, well, you know. And so from that moment on, there's this covenant, this relationship that's been made between God and the people. They are God's people, and God is you know, this particular God, Yahweh, is their God. Out of all the gods that they could swear fealty and allegiance to, they choose, they choose Yahweh, the one who liberated them. So this story, then, is sort of what happens next. Uh, and it's where Moses is going to go up Mount Sinai, which, by the way, is encased in this, like, lightning firestorm, which is apparently more terrifying than it sounds, judged by how the people respond, Right? Uh, He's going to go up there and he's going to get the full, like kind of, I guess we could say like the fine print of the wedding contract, right? He's going to bring back the Torah or the way uh, for God's people. 
Um, now, again, I, this is where the marriage analogy starts to break down, and I think the nation analogy works better. Uh, Moses is bringing back sort of their governing documents. If you are going to be my people in the world who shows the world what it looks like to follow Yahweh, this is your, this is your, uh, your governing document, right? This is the, their, their version of the Constitution or the Articles of Confederation or the Magna Carta or whatever, right? This is, the Torah is their way to follow God in the world. And so as we read this, uh, this little bit here about uh, Moses going up the mountain, I want you to just sort of imagine if you were there, where would you be in this story? And I mean that pretty literally where, because this story really, I think, encapsulates a lot of what a, uh, what a lot of us think about when we think about classic religion. Um, God is up here, and he's scary, and, and the, the closer to God you get, the fewer people are there, right? So it starts out with everyone on the ground, and then you have like a little group that goes up part of the way, and then just a couple of people that go up even further, and they're just like one guy that makes it to the top, okay? And again, I think it's how a lot of us think about religion, right? Um, so, so as we read this story, I just want you to try to imagine, just be honest with you, I'm not going to ask you to write it down or share it in the chat or anything like that, right? But just try to imagine for yourself, honestly, where you see yourself in the story, okay? So let's read it together. Being in verse 12, Exodus tells us that the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. That's the governing documents, right? Tablets of stone. We're going to get the sort of the fine print of the contract, the laws and the rules that govern God's society. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you, and if anyone has a dispute while I am gone, you can consult with them. So like Moses is like, you know, I'll be right back and leaves the people in charge, right? Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the glory, uh, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. The Israelites at the foot of the mountain, uh, sorry, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud, and he climbed up higher on higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so again, I think, I think for most of us, this is sort of a, a classic religious text, right? And it, it matches the way we sort of map religion onto the world, where, um, you know, maybe, like, I get, I, I get, since I'm the pastor, people think I'm Moses, right? I'm the guy that, like, has the red phone that goes straight to heaven, and that's how I get my sermons, right? I just pick, what do I say this week, Lord? And, uh, you know, it's like the secret that I can't tell any of you, because you don't have the right Jesus dust, right? Um, and then, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're like Joshua, right? Like, you're like the assistant, the sidekick that comes most of the way up the mountain, right? Yeah, I mean, you're the, you know, the, other, the other minister here, right? And I don't know who the elders are, maybe some of our key volunteers or our leadership team. I don't know, right? And then, and then again, I think, I think most people, when they would read a story like this, they would say, I'm, I'm sort of at the bottom of the mountain. I'm that person that doesn't really, you know, do all of that religious stuff. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty far removed from God, and I'm just sort of here waiting for the people that know what they're doing to come back and give me marching orders. Uh, 
I don't think that's necessary. I mean, I, I get why we think that way, right? I mean, literally, that's how God's people functioned for a long time. I mean, this is, this is what happened in this story. Moses does come back down. There's a golden calf in there. We don't even have time for that. Um, I do, just as a sidebar, I just think it's hilarious that Moses is like, uh, I'll be right back. And then he like literally walks into a firestorm and then he's gone for 40 days. Like at what point would you be like, is he dead? <laughs> like how long do we wait before we decide he's not coming back out of the lightning fire, right? Uh, I'm not saying that they should have built the golden calf. I'm just saying like, I understand the anxiety, right? Um, I think there's a good, I think there's a good spiritual lesson in there for another time, not for this sermon. Um, what I love about again, this, this sort of map of religion and how, how we sort of locate ourselves in it, is that in the Transfiguration, which is a story that for uh, a couple thousand years the church has linked to the Sinai experience, uh, Jesus completely undercuts this idea that the most spiritual people belong at the top of the mountain uh, because he leaves the mountain, right? So uh, we're going to go to Matthew 17 now. And this particular story, the story of the transfiguration, appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels. And in all three of these Gospels, it functions, again, like a major transition, like a major hinge point. Up until the, the story of the transfiguration, Jesus is just sort of like meandering around uh, nor the northern part of the Holy Land, healing people, casting out demons, doing the teachings that he's famous for. Uh, and he doesn't seem to have any real rhyme or reason or pattern other than uh, he's just bringing good news to poor, the poor and the oppressed, right? He's announcing God's coming liberation. <laughs> then after this story, where he, again, he like goes up, it's almost like he goes up the mountain and then comes down the other side and marches straight for Jerusalem, which is where he's going to be killed. Uh, and, and so th this, is, this is almost like the it's time to get down to business thing, right? It's, it's like the time has come and now there's no more messing around. And so a lot of scholars see what we're going to read here as, as God preparing Jesus spiritually, emotionally, mentally for what he's about to do, for his, for his, for, for his journey to Jerusalem, into the jaws of the empire and to his certain death. Uh, and, and again, I think you'll be able to see why they say that because he has just this really incredible uh, sort of, uh, I mean, there's a reason we call them mountaintop experiences, right? Like he's literally on top of a mountain when he has this experience. Uh, but again, I think the important part of this story is that Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. He, he you know, spoilers, he goes back down. And so I want to read the story with you. There's so much we could talk about in here. And so I'm going to try to keep it tight today because um, I really want to stay focused on this one point. But I just want you to, I just want you again to notice Peter's reaction and notice uh, how Jesus navigates all of this. So beginning in verse one of Matthew chapter 17. So six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses, that's right, Moses from the last mountain story, and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters. Uh, and actually the word that he uses here is tabernacles, right? Three tabernacles uh, as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Again, sounds very much like the Exodus story, right? This cloud coming over them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. 
The disciples were terrified, and they fell with their faces on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them and said, get up and don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Okay, again, there's so much we could talk about in this story. I love this story so much. But all I want to focus on today is the reality that Jesus did not stay on the top of the mountain. I mean, Moses didn't either, right? But he was there for like 40 days. Jesus was just there, uh, looks like just for a couple of hours, right? Having some kind of conversation with Moses and Elijah, uh, two of the great prophets of history. And then he leaves. He, uh, Peter is the one who says, what if, we just, uh, what if we just camp out here, right? What if we just set up tabernacles and stay here in this holy spot? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, you haven't been paying attention, Right? Like, that's not what we're here for. So I just, this is what I want us to take away. You can be uh, as far up the mountain as you want, and you can still miss what Jesus is up to. You can be as religious as possible and still miss what God is doing in our world. Peter did. Peter completely missed it. When he said, gosh, this would be a great place to camp out. Jesus said, that's not why we're here. I don't want to take away from moments of religious ecstasy, mountaintop experiences. I mean, I've had some in my life. I'm sure most of us in here could share of some, some, truly, some moments that felt truly sacred and truly indescribable. Uh, and there is a real temptation to want to stay in those places, unquestionably. Um, but if we're going to be like Jesus then we have to come back down off of the mountain because that's where the real work that God called us to and prepares us for is. And so in that, in that um, vein, I want us to sing another song together. Uh, in part because I think music is one of those places where we often do have these ecstatic religious experiences. Um, for a lot of us, music is the way that we connect, is the way we uh, probably can blend together our intellect and our emotions and, and sing those things to God. And so, uh, again, I want, I want to affirm that and celebrate that while at the same time saying those are not the spaces where God calls us to stay because that's not where the real work that God created for us and prepared for us is. So would you stand with me as we sing again? As I mentioned, the transfiguration is this pivot point, right? Uh, both in the life of Jesus as he now walks towards the cross and in our own life as a church as we uh, move into Lent. And so the, the question that, that is before us is not, uh, do you have enough faith to climb all the way to the top of the mountain, right? Um, really, the question before us is, do we have enough faith to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? Those are, those are two different things, right? I think one of them is a, a question of our own efforts. Do we, you know, can we, can we dig in and can we have the right equipment and, you know, the training and stuff to get all the way to the top? And I think the other one, the question of, of uh, picking up our cross and following after Jesus is really one of faithfulness. Do we trust that this way of self-sacrificial love is something that really is the way to life? Do we really trust that God is faithful to the promises that God has made to us? And uh, that if we follow Jesus, that this really is the path you know, to life, even, even if it leads through a cross. And so Lent is that season that invites us into those questions. Lent is the season where we really begin to ask uh, am I 
living a life that is consistent with the life that God has for me, right? Are we as a church community, are we as a world, uh, what are the spaces in our world that need the presence of Jesus through us, right? Where are the, where are the sources of bondage and injustice that remain? Where are the spaces of deep loneliness and uh, fear that we, can, that we can live into and speak into? Um, and and I, these are the questions for Lent because of what is this, I think, this danger that's really at the heart of religion. Again, when Moses was up on the mountain, the people lost faith. And they built a golden calf, which, again, we don't even have time to get into, like, all the whys and everything. It's not, whatever. Uh, it's hard to resist that temptation to just go, go deep and nerdy. Um, but we're not. We're not, we're not, we're not. Okay. Uh, so, uh, again, the Cliff Notes version there, right, is that, that they lost faith in the God that had brought them out of bondage. Uh, they lost faith in the one who led them out of bondage. And so they, they turn to idolatry. And then, even then, um, you've, you, know, you know the story, right? Moses brings the, the tablets back out. He sees what's going on. He breaks them. So then he has to go back and get some more uh, new ones. And, and what those stone tablets represented was permanence, right? This people who had been slaves, who had been nomads, now they had a, uh, a governing document, you know, something written literally in stone that could not be altered, that could not be changed. And for a people who had been beset by bondage and impermanence, this was a powerful promise, right? That, that this was forever written in stone. But over time, those turned into uh, those vows, right? Those, those marriage vows, that sacred, beautiful promise between God and the people turned into a set of obligations and, and their own kind of bondage to the point that uh, some of the prophets began wishing that some, they, would, they would have a new covenant that was not written on stone, but on flesh, right? Um, and this happened with Jesus too, right? Jesus has this powerful way in the world, this way of liberation, this way of resisting empire, this way of scooping in the marginalized. And then yet look at what has happened to Jesus's message throughout our history. Look at what is being done in the name of Jesus today, you know? Um, again, this powerful force for liberation uh, and for uh, justice and equality has been turned into a tool of oppression, something that's been used to marginalize and to deny the image of God in a number of people, uh, something that Jesus never wanted, right? This is, this is the religious tension, something that God means for good we so often pervert and turn into something that is wicked, and so the season of Lent is a season that offers us the opportunity to slow down and to really ask some of those difficult questions. I, and I honestly think the most difficult questions Lent asks us to do is, is to look inside of ourselves. I mean, that's, that really is, you know, uh, if you want me to tell you what's wrong with everyone else, I got time for that, right? Uh, if you want me to tell you what's wrong with me, uh, that, that feels a lot scarier, you know? Um, so yes, uh, Lent does ask us to look at our culture and to look at our community and ask what the sins that are there are, and we're going to be doing that during Lent. But I, but I do honestly think that the most difficult thing we can do in Lent is slow down and look inside of ourselves and ask if we are truly ready to go on this journey with Jesus to the cross, where we give those things up, where we die to ourselves, um, Or are we more comfortable uh, in, in a culture 
of selfishness, of self-indulgence, of, of sin. And the promise that Lent makes us is that we are not going anywhere that Jesus has not already gone. Again, Jesus doesn't stay on the mountaintop and tell Peter and James and John, y'all get down there and get to work. I'll be here when you're done. Right? No, he leads them down the mountain. And so again, that's why the, that's why the call of the disciple is to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Right? It's not Jesus standing to the back of the line going, uh, everyone go up there and grab a cross and get started and I'll catch up with you eventually. That's, that's never how Jesus leads us. Whenever we face injustice, whenever we face oppression, we know that God is already present there, already at work among the oppressed and among the marginalized and among the victims of injustice, working for liberation and working for wholeness. And so we are not going, we're not pioneers going where no one has gone before. We are pilgrims who are catching up to the God who's gone before us. And so as we move into the season of Lent, this is, the, this is the, the invitation to the journey I want to make with you. And I want to ask you that question, right? Are, are you ready to take this journey? Are you in a place where you can look at the next six weeks, the next 40 days, and say, I'm ready, I'm ready to be honest, I'm ready to be vulnerable, I'm ready to be open, I'm ready to spend that time in prayer, in other, other kinds of spiritual practices, uh, allowing God to reveal sin, allowing God to call me to repent, allowing God to heal me. Uh, and if you're not there, what's keeping you from that, right? What, what are the barriers uh, that are keeping you from being ready to go on that journey? What's keeping you at the bottom of the mountain, so to speak? Or maybe on the flip side, what's keeping you at the top of the mountain, unwilling to leave the safety of uh, you know, your comfort and to go back down into a world that desperately needs the presence of God. So I want to take us to the communion table uh, by way of invitation because this is a stop on the journey with Jesus to the cross. This is where he gathered with his disciples and where he moved with them. Uh, and I think it's noteworthy, I mean, again, not to spoil the, the Good Friday story, right? But uh, most of the people who were gathered at this table that first time did not make it to the cross. Most of them fell away for one reason or another, because they were betrayers, because they were deniers, because they were just plain scared, because they did not have faith that the one that they were following was, was showing them the way to life. And so I think it's a good reminder that uh, there aren't really any qualifications that are, that are uh, present for us to come to this table. It's simply an invitation from God to us, and we earn our spot by saying yes, that's it. Uh, so before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to offer some questions uh, that, that will prepare us for, for Lent, and they're meant for us to consider in a spirit of prayer. And then once we are finished with those questions, I'll pray for us all together, and we can receive communion together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. How has God been at work in my life so far this year?
Now, where have I resisted God's invitation to transformation in this year so far? There are times that I've avoided God's call or just ignored places I knew God was inviting me into. Now, where might I be tempted to resist God's work in my life in these next weeks? Finally, how can I make myself ready to say yes to God in these next weeks? What does it look like for me to be in a posture of readiness? together. God, you have gathered us here that we might prepare ourselves for this journey that you're inviting us on, this journey where we follow your son Jesus to the cross. We confess this is a, a scary journey. It's, it's scary to imagine standing up for what is good and just in the world and facing the persecution that comes with that. It's maybe even scarier to look inside of ourselves, be honest, and allow you to see those parts of us that uh, we're ashamed of or that uh, we keep falling into. And yet, you have shown us this morning that you don't call us to go anywhere that your son is not already gone. And we do. We want to be a church that is good news for the marginalized, that is a church that takes personal holiness seriously. We want to be those things. And so we come to your table today by faith. 
we choose to believe that the only thing we have to do to earn our seat here is to say yes to you. And so by receiving these elements, we pray that they would be a spiritual food that we might uh, yet again be drawn together as a church and be bound together in the truth of your son Jesus and his love for us and that we might be made yet again to be your people who are good news to the world around us. And we offer these prayers and we approach your table in the name of your son Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, this was the meal that he shared with his disciples. And it was during that meal that he took bread, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus's death until he returns. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about our Lent series that's coming up. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's called Broken Promises. And we're going to be doing something similar to what we did during this uh, Spark series, where we're looking at a text from uh, the Hebrew Bible and a text from the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at how they compare to each other. And so what we'll see in the text from the Hebrew Bible are different places where God has made covenants with God's people. And uh, we'll talk about some of the ways that, uh, that we as a people have not been faithful to those covenants. And then in the New Testament text, we're going to look at how Jesus, as the ultimate faithful follower, right, uh, was faithful to those. So we're, we're looking at both how we so often fail to be faithful to God, both individually and as a culture or as a society. And then we're looking at how Jesus models that faithfulness for us and how we can find healing and hope and redemption in that. So I think it's going to be a really uh, a good series. I think it's going to be a fun series. I think you're going to appreciate some of the connections that we draw between the texts. That always tends to be a really uh, a trick, a fun trick for the preaching team, but I think something that ends up being really enriching for us. Uh, so I know our preachers that are preaching during this are excited about it. I'm excited about it. Uh, and... Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna brag about the graphic for a second. It's got some layers in it, right? Um, no, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but yeah, enjoy that graphic. Um, that was from that was a joke from earlier for two people in the room. So you're welcome. Uh, all right. Um, all of that to say, Lent starts on on Wednesday. I hope you can join us for Ash Wednesday, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central, live. So in the building or online. And then of course next Sunday we will begin our Lent series. So uh, really looking forward to that. Hope hope you can make it a point to be with us. And if you would stand now, I'd like to dismiss you with a blessing. Uh, we are about to embark as a church on a journey uh, with Jesus to the cross. And I know that can be scary. I know that can be daunting. And I just want to encourage you and remind you that we are going nowhere that Jesus has not already gone before us. And so Catalyst, we can have the courage uh, to go on this trip with Jesus, knowing that he is going ahead of us and beside us and behind us. And so you have a few days here at the beginning or at the end of Epiphany, at the beginning of Lent to prepare ourselves for that journey. And uh, I want to send you out uh, and challenge you to prepare well so that we can get the most out of this journey as a church together. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we will see you next week.